Good morning. It's Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit was sent to bless the church. It is also Shavuot for our Jewish listeners, the Feast of Weeks, the celebration of the first spring harvest. So wherever you are and whoever you are, we welcome you this morning to One New Man Radio. We are in Ephesians 2 ministry, uh, seeing God's reconciling work uh, in the offering of Jesus on the cross, bringing together the tribes of Gentiles and Jews. And we want to look at that today just from the <laughs> angle that God is bringing together all tribes to make one new man in Jesus. This is Jerry, and I'm here today with Bob, who's uh, typically with us, and also with our friend uh, Joe, who's uh, an Episcopal priest, and so we're so glad to have him with us this morning. Uh, we want to uh, look at uh, the scripture today, we have our Old Testament portion, which is found in Numbers, beginning with, uh, <clears throat> uh, I forget exactly where this starts, in chapter 4, uh, but we'll be going through Numbers, through several chapters, then we're also going to be taking a quick look at uh, the story of Samson's uh, birth, how uh, the angel came and announced him his birth to his parents, and then uh, if we still have time, we'll take a quick look at uh, the Apostle Paul uh, and something that he did that relates to our Torah portion today. So there's a lot to look at, and we're going to dive in right now. Gentlemen, uh, we are starting in verse 21 of chapter 4. The last thing that had happened was God gave instructions to the Kohathites, the uh, group of uh, Levites who were in charge of the sanctuary, uh, the furniture inside. They were the ones who would be carrying the ark and the menorah and the um, two tables that were inside of the sanctuary, the table of uh, the bread, the constant bread, and the table of incense. And the portion that we're in today picks up then with the other two groups of Levites, the sons of uh, Gershom and the sons of Merari and their duties uh, in taking care of the tabernacle. So uh, just real quickly with those two groups, let's, let's just understand the um, Gershonites. Well, maybe we should stop just for one second and, and re rehash. Uh, last week we understood the order of the camp and how the camp was arrayed and how uh, there was a, three tribes to the east led by Judah, three tribes to the south led by Reuben, three tribes to the west led by Ephraim, and three tribes to the north led by Dan. Scattered about those four compass points also were the Levites. In front of the tent with uh, the Judahites were, the, uh, were, were Moses and Aaron. Then to the south were the Kohathites, the guys who would be carrying the furniture. Then to the west were the uh, Gershomites. And their charge was to carry the curtains and the coverings and the screen for the entrance of the tent and the hangings of the court. So all of the linen curtains that were that created that big outside area, all of the, the coverings that were used uh, to create the tent, the linen coverings, the uh, animal coverings, all of those were carried by the Gershonites. And then the uh, last group, the Merorites, were to pick up all the bases they, they picked up all of the hardware, if you will, that held the tent together and the, the court together, the pillars and the beams and the bases. They picked all that up. They did so the heavy lifting. The, they did the heavy lifting. Yeah, we'll come to that in a, in a second. But just to give an idea how, I can't think of any other word than clever, really, of God to, to put this together this way. Because as you think about the camp moving out then, the Kohathites go inside and pick up the furniture. 
then as as their group is well Judah marches out then this next group marches out and this the Kohathites have all the furniture then the Gershmites pick up all of the linens they wrap everything up and all that's left after that for the Merorites to pick up is all of the beams and pillars and bases mm -hmm. and so when they get to camp the uh, the 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 order of 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 uh, putting it back down is going to be in reverse so the pillars go down then the curtains and then finally the furniture goes inside but just that God has all of this planned and we we noted last week just how orderly everything is and we talked about the mustering of the army and how this is God's uh, plan of keeping order uh, when chaos could easily ensue, right? Right. <clears throat> so, well, Jerry, let me ask you, what is it, what is the significance of that positioning where you have the Kohites to the south, the Gershonites to the west, Moses and the priests to the east, you know, the surrounding of, of it. What, what do you think the significance of that is? How they're placed well I think that the Moses Aaron positioning to the east is 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 symbolic for sure because this is where light comes this is where the light mm -hmm. arises and so they they are uh, in the position of, of bringing light to the people through the Word of God and so they are positioned in the east if there's a symbolic reason for the others, I don't know mm -hmm. it. It just is, seems seems wise yeah. to to arrange it that way for for a quick and easy breakdown. Yeah. What I never figured out, and I just kind of stumbled here through it, is on on the other side though. How is it that the Kohathites get there first, but they're kind of waiting around for everything else to be put in order? But mm -hmm. I'm not. Sure. What <laughs> you know? May, may, maybe that's that's a a word for for all of us somewhere in there. Uh, just in our own human natures, there's those of us who want to run ahead, and those of us who lag behind. But uh, in the end, we have to all get there together. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I I don't know for sure about that one. Okay. Um. The the. Uh, the point that I wanted to maybe have you guys talk about here for a second <clears throat> is uh, this this part down here in chapter 4, verse 47. <clears throat> They're, uh, they come on duty, it says, from 30 years old up to 50 years old. But then it says, everyone who could come to do the service of ministry and the service of bearing burdens... So it's easy to see in that context they're clearly bearing burdens. They're, they're, they're picking up the stuff and carrying it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's a service of ministry that is, is implied there as well that is, is in the rabbi's uh, teaching about it. They say that this refers, and, and I should also say, whenever we talk about the rabbi's teaching, it's pretty rare that every rabbi agrees. <laughs> <laughs> so many rabbis, let me put it that way, uh, believe that this service of ministry refers to the singing that the Levites were called upon to do uh, later on when the temple was established. Um, as I said, not every rabbi agrees, and I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, this, this, this predates that situation by a good deal. And... Moses intends that there's a service of ministry that is going on here along with burdens that is greater than looking forward to a time when these people will be singers. So what do you think he, he might be talking about here? Well, there's, you know, this component of worship. Um, uh, you're talking about singing. Mm -hmm. I feel like we are really who we are most created to be when we're worshiping God, right? And uh, there's <coughs> somewhere in um, Job, 
God says to Job, where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? And something about singing the universe, or, or you know, all the stars sing together right. uh, at the creation of the universe. And I think worship and music is kind of hardwired into us, into our DNA. And I think that's why singing is such an important component of worship. And maybe that's what's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. That you know that has to be an important part of uh, of, of worship. And, and maybe that's what he's talking about here. Mm-hmm. So the singing that David organized may have been taking place uh, in an unorganized fashion uh, all along. Uh, maybe that's <laughs> one way to think about it. Um, Bob, any thought here? I just no, but I, what I like what I like to um, just to mention is that every detail God has got under control and has a purpose for. And some of the things that might not be clear in the scripture, but underneath, you know that he had a, a, a service to do for the, for, the, for the community and for himself. And I think that's... Uh... I have a comment. Okay, go. Yeah, so back, back to that whole idea of, you know, here it is in, in Job where God uh, asked Job, um, who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Amen. And so maybe that's what's going on here. You're talking about some, some sort of order, order of worship, um, you know, that we get the band playing all together in a sense. <laughs> and maybe that's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I try to look at these two different services. Uh, that they performed this the the obvious picking up the pieces and walking with them they're 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 bearing the burdens the service of ministry though um in a way it has has the aspect of serving the congregation of israel by caring for the things of god right that their service of ministry is not just at that point of ministry, does that make sense? That at, at that point of carrying burdens, but also contributing something to the larger community by by taking that on. That their service of ministry uh, to take singing uh, is is to do your work joyfully, mm-hmm. uh, to do your work as unto the Lord, perhaps. Uh, all of those involved. And so how do we take those, those ideas then? Clearly, Paul says in Galatians about bearing one another's burdens. Correct. So, you know, you want to talk about that connection here for a minute in some way? Well, life obviously wasn't easy, uh, and burdens were certainly multiplied. You know, we only have first world problems. We still have <laughs> struggles, you know, things like that. But comparatively, our lives are, are, are much easier than uh, wandering through uh, the desert um, and, and foraging for food and things like that. So there's a lot more burden sharing, bearing burden to, to be going on. And it was a larger component of, uh, of the daily life and a, probably a much more important part bigger part of ministry, mm-hmm. um, bearing burdens. You know, and one thing, Jerry, I'd like to mention is that they, uh, it's mentioned that from 30 to 50 years old, why do you think that would be? Why, would, why, would, why wouldn't that be uh, maybe from 20 to 50? Or, or why do you think they picked that age group? The, uh, let me see if I can find the verse that comes up. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, it's not in. Yeah, it's it's not in our parsha this week, but it's in next week's parsha, chapter eight. It says the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "This applies to the Levites from twenty-five years old and upward. They shall come to do duty in the service of the tent of meeting. From the age of fifty, they shall withdraw." So, the uh, parsha this week designates thirty to fifty. Then the parsha next week says twenty-five to fifty. And the rabbis say <clears throat> that 30 to 50 is the age when 
everybody could be expected to carry those weights and bear those literal physical burdens. Right. And <clears throat> they suggest that uh, this 25-year-old designation is an apprenticeship that uh, Levites would serve in order to be prepared to, to work at the age of 30. So all of the rabbis do agree that this age group was picked because they were the best suited to carry the burden, to actually do the, do the job. I got you. Right? And hence, at 50, they figured you were <laughs> pretty, well, pretty well done. If, if you made it to 50 in that <laughs> day. If you made it to 50, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one of the covenant blessings, though, is, is lo longer uh, life. Longer life, right. right. Uh, Moses says uh, three score and ten by reason of strength four score in Psalm 90, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So I th think that was, at least under the covenant conditions, uh, some, some level of expectation that that was going to happen. But I'm, I was just really struck by that, that double idea of, of, of service there. Mm -hmm. And it says that <clears throat> according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses, they were listed each one with the task of serving or carrying. So that <clears throat> even at 50, when we read next week, they, they, would, they would withdraw from the carrying, but they would continue the serving. Interesting. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that concludes the kind of uh, logistical uh, part of the discussion. Now we get to some uh, interesting case law. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, ch <clears throat> chapter 5 begins with uh, the command to put out of the camp all of the people who are uh, unclean because of leprosy or have a bodily discharge or have come into contact with uh, a dead person. So this is, this is now applying what we read about earlier in Leviticus, right? right? Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about the, the, the uh, necessity of keeping the camp holy or clean, uh, free of impurity because we have a situation of the holy God being able to dwell in the midst of his people. And that's what he says uh, in verse 3, you shall put out... Uh, both male and female. There's no distinguishing here. Uh, if anybody has has done or been found to have one of these three situations, male or female, that they shall be put outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp, and that I might dwell. That this is the camp in the midst of which I dwell. Right. So that's that's really the issue. Uh, we've talked about this a number of times. Anything you want to add in here on the subject of God's holiness and uh, God's desire to dwell with the people and what that means for the people he chooses to live with? Yeah, and I think that's so important for people who <coughs> oftentimes gets, they get bogged down in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and all these <coughs> uh, regulations and rules and s the specific things. And the reason is because of God's holiness. God's holiness is all these things. And, and in our 21st century contemporary Western minds, we don't have that picture of or understanding of God's holiness. Right. And so <clears throat> this, this group did. Or God was trying to <laughs> communicate to this group about yeah. what his holiness is. And yeah. that's why... God is so specific with what his requirements are. And, and we studied, uh, I think, last week on, in Leviticus about, uh, about the corpse, the dead corpse, that God is life, that, 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 cor that corpse rep represents death, which is opposite mm -hmm. of who he is. So that's how we have to deal with it, or le the Levites had to deal with it as they saw fit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the idea behind all of those prohibitions was that in each thing that was prohibited, there was some indication of death. And that God is life, and we want to uh, honor and preserve and 
value life over death. Of course, as Moses comes to the end of his career, uh, that's practically the last thing he says to the children of Israel. I lay before you today, life and death, choose life, right? Yep. So the people of Israel did that. Then the next... Again, it's just so interesting, the the sequence of things that God instructs them. So first he talks in general about these, these, these things that can corrupt and prevent us from entering into God's presence because we're carrying death in some way. But as we said earlier, these things in and of themselves are not sin. But there's a general approach that begins with choosing life. And then he says, now, (coughs) the second thing that I want you to deal with is talk to them about when a man or woman commits any of the sins. And we're in chapter 5, verse 6. When any any man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he's committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong. So there is something really interesting going on here. And it it seems primarily having to do with some kind of monetary or property uh, defrauding somebody, stealing from somebody, cheating somebody, right? But God says, when you do this, you have broken faith with the Lord. So, Bob, I come to you, and you're not looking, and I, I steal your, your lawnmower, and Good. I, I, don't bother, <laughs> I don't bother telling you about it. Uh, yeah, I've taken your lawnmower, but I have broken faith with the Lord. Yes. How about that? He sees it all. <clears throat> well, isn't that Psalm 51? against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Right. And some of us are out there thinking, wait a minute, what about Uriah and what about Bathsheba? But against you, you only. And you know, I forget what I was reading, but that idea that the Lord is always seeing and always knowing and how, how our lives might be different if we really took that into account each day. There are no private actions. Or thoughts. Or thoughts, exactly. There is nothing hidden from God. Everything that you do, everything that you think. Everything you say. Is observed by Mm -hmm. the God of the universe. So that is is both terrifying, (laughs) but if we are in relationship with God, it is so comforting as well. I was just going to say that. Isn't that, in a sense, comforting to know that? Um, as a matter of fact, that was kind of the sermon at, at church on Sunday. Our, <laughs> uh, the, our pastor uh, said there are no private acts. And that to him, that is a comfort to know that. Because God sees everything that happens to you. And, you know, we suffer injustices against us and we think well why are people why why does power always seem to win why why do the evil seem to always Mm -hmm. get ahead but the reality is god sees it and he's the ultimate judge and will make it make it right so it's a comfort amen amen and you know psalm 139 really is coming at it from the comforting side yeah even if I make my bed in sheol you are there if i say to the darkness hide me the darkness is as light to you yep right and so how does he end that? Search me, O oh God, mm-hmm. and know my, my thoughts. See if yeah. there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of life everlasting. Sure. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. But Jerry, one thing I noticed is that you, a little bit further down that they have to pay uh, a 20% or one-fifth mm-hmm. uh, to the, not only do the compensation, but above and beyond the compensation of 20%. And then below that, atonement has to take place. So not only does that offense, they, the offenses de- de- dealt with between people, but then you have to make atonement b- between the, them and the Lord. Yes, yes. I think that uh, if I steal your... your lawnmower? Your, your, th- <laughs> your, your $1,000 lawnmower, I have to, I have to replace it uh, at $1,000 plus pay you $200 more, right? Correct. <clears throat> and I need to come before the Lord and 
make atonement. So here, of course, uh, they're bringing a lamb or a goat or whatever the appropriate sacrifice would be. Uh, we have a sacrifice that's been made for us by our great high priest. Um, do you ever see this working out in our church settings today? You know, because we talk about the Old Testament. Well, Jesus, Jesus said to the, the uh, men on the way to Emmaus, uh, he opened up the scripture and says, it's all talking about me. Mm -hmm. And we've made many connections uh, between Old Testament practice and law and the situation that we find ourselves in in the church. All of this in some way is a shadow or picture right. of uh, life with God, right. right? And our life in Christ. So... Well, I think <coughs> corporately as a church that we should be talking about confession, right? Mm -hmm. We should all be confessing. That's that's what uh, kind of what, what's going on here. And then personally confession every day, right? Hopefully more than once a day, confessing our sins, keeping short accounts with God. Um, uh, <coughs> I mean, I think that's that's part of living the spirit-filled life, right? Amen. Is, is always... You know, throughout the day, just taking a second, hey, if I thought something, if I said something, God, you saw it. We just talked about it a second ago. God, you saw it. You know it. And I am so sorry. Help me to repent and turn and, 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 and uh, live differently. Um, I think most people don't want to do that because, like as C.S. Lewis says, it's like we don't have money in your bank account. You don't like looking at your checkbook. <laughs> and so but I think a, a very important part of the Christian life is always confessing our sins, being aware. And that's part of the process of sanctification, right? That's First Thessalonians 4.3. Uh, this is God's will for your life, your sanctification. Right. People say, what, what's God's will for my life? Well, there's the answer, your sanctification. Um, Could you unpack that word again for us? Well, you know, We've, we it, talk about it often, sure, but it's, it's good, to, good to go over I, it every once in a while. I would just say it's easier, the, the, the process of being transformed into the image of Christ. It's a lifelong process for all, you know, for everybody. And we're all at different points along the process to sanctification until ultimately glorification, right? Someday. Amen. But um, sanctification, that, that's the Christian life lived out. And it's hard work sometimes, but it, it can only be accomplished in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? I can't white knuckle my way into being a more moral and better person. Um, I need the Holy Spirit indwelling sanctifying, convicting, all those things all the time. That's part of being a Christian. And going back to your question, Jerry, about, you know, do we see this in the church today? I, I would say, sadly, the answer is no, um, largely. Um, you know, Bonhoeffer talked about a confessing church, right? And that, mm -hmm. that was very important to him. And so, um, you know, it, 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 we see lots of Tony Robbins, like, let's feel better about myself and feel good about myself and be amped up. And, and, and there are times, of course, to, you know, to, to be excited about the Lord. But, but if you're not balancing that with, hey, let me, let me stop for a little while, really examine what's going on with me. Um, where do I need to improve? God, where, where do you see improvement? Amen. And that's, that's part of it, too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if there's certain sins that you're struggling with and you've been doing better, it's okay to acknowledge that. Right. You know? Um, so it has to take, back to what you said, Jerry, it has to take place on a corporate level, at the, at the macro, and also at the micro, at the individual level as well. Mm -hmm. When you said, I can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, yeah. I wonder if you would add and in the company of brothers oh for sure right community Absolutely. right that's how we really grow in our faith you can't be a, a lone wolf christian as much you know there's so many people say well you know i don't need to go to church um i can go out fishing on the lake and commute you know communicate with god and everything like that well the reality is that's just not true the reality is that we grow in community with other believers and f the first way is that i see other people living out holy lives and there are people that inspire me, that you know, people that I think about. Wow, those are great Christians, and 
um, I want to live like them. Ultimately, I want to live like Jesus, of course, but in reality, that's supplemented with, you know, I, I have great friends and I see how they live. I can emulate that. And also, um, uh, in community where I'll, I, I have people that I've given license to to say, you know, if you see something in my life that's not appropriate, I would like you to come to me and say, Joe, listen, you know, I see this in you, I see this attitude. Let's, can we just talk about it for a few minutes? Or So I've given license to a few men to say, you can always come, please come to me if you see something. And that's part of the community, right? That's mm-hmm. part of the community. It's part of worshiping in community. We were talking about worship a few minutes ago. You know, I love th- those times that I'm in church and I'm, and I'm really singing and I'm looking around at all the others singing spirit-filled worship and i'm thinking to myself this is what heaven's going to be like amen right this have community is heaven because i'm going to be there with other believers as well so mm-hmm. as an introvert I, I was kind of <laughs> repulsed at that word community but the reality is if i'm going to grow as a christian i need community mm-hmm. we all do every person does and the Holy Spirit gives you that desire to improve yourself. For sure. You know, yeah. and, and to help him point things out, like you said. And, and, and when you, as you grow, you know, the, the big, I call it the big stuff, the stuff that you struggled with when you first came up, became a believer, that you take care of that. Then you start going into the small, the other, it's the same, it's just as important yeah. as the attitudes that you're just talking about. Right, right. And then that once, once that is, is processed, you, he uncovers more stuff. That's exactly right. And, yeah. and it's, it's neat to see how it's, it, the, the, the sanctification does take place so that, that we will yeah. be. The, the Holy Spirit is replenishingly everywhere. Amen. And. I've found in my own life that the, the, the reward of obedience is usually the power to obey again in something a little bit harder yes. mm-hmm. in my life. Um, does that mean I don't go backwards? Uh, there are times, I, of course, we all go backwards. But usually, Bob, like what you're talking about, that process of sanctification, getting better, getting better, getting better. Um, and so... Well, uh, further up and further, further in, up, further in, right? Yes. Uh, it doesn't only start at the end of the last battle, really. It is, you know, uh, you will receive eternal life, not someday, but the moment we receive Christ, we receive mm-hmm. eternal life into us, and that eternal life begins living itself out from that moment. And so exactly. hopefully we are always making progress, and we find it's two steps forward, one step back, yes. instead of one step forward, two steps back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right, Jerry, yes. Um, but w- one thing I want to just point out, I, I think in growing and, and sanctifying what you just mentioned, is, is staying in God's Word every day. Every day. You know, every morning, start it off. And then as you grow, and if you have an impure thought or something, ask. don't wait till the end of the day to ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness then. That moment. That moment, that mm-hmm. way you keep that channel clear, and it's... Um, I've known it from my own life that it's that's the best way to go no doubt i guess i just want to push at this a little Mm -hmm. uh that we don't overemphasize our own individual walk with the lord because the danger then is to get to that place where i am a lone wolf and the scripture says examine yourselves and i just think of this in a moment as like a medical examination there are parts of my body where I can examine myself. There are parts of my body that I cannot mm-hmm. examine myself. Mm-hmm. And I need somebody to examine that part for me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I really want to encourage people to, and when, when, when Joe talked about church, I, he wasn't only just talking about, I don't think he was, I hope I'm not putting words in his mouth. He wasn't only talking about showing up on Sunday. He was talking about being a living, active participant in the life of a body. Exactly, right? Because the reality is, we've talked about this before, Jerry. If you're in church for one hour on Sunday morning, you have six days and 23 hours where you're out in the world, right? And the world is who you're going to be catechized by, who are you going to be influenced by. If you're just in church for one hour or 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, that leaves six days, 22 and a half hours, where the world is influencing you. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, you just have no chance, right? right. Um, and so that's why, Bob, you made the point, reading your Bible every day, okay? And community, the church, the, I mean, 
there's stuff, hopefully you're attending a church where there's stuff going on almost every day. <coughs> and being in community, you know, uh, are you in a small group? Are you, we talked a few minutes ago about bearing burdens, right? Are you bearing the burdens of others in your church? Are you actively praying for people in your church? Are you praying for your pastors? So yes, you, Jerry, you are absolutely right. Being a member of a church is not a one day a week thing. It's a seven day a week. And, and also your, your tithes, right? Your tithes and offerings. Yes. You're, you're hoping you're, you're contributing financially to your church. When I, when, when I meet people who tell me they can follow Jesus without going to church, I ask them pretty pointedly, I said, so you're okay with disobeying all of the commandments that talk about what to do for one another? Yeah. And that's really what we're choosing, to, 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 to be disobedient right. on a number of points that, uh, that we're, we're, we're told just in, in our context right here, bearing one another's burdens. Sure. You can't do that if you're not part of right. a body. That's right. right? So... Folks, a gentle, a gentle push. Yeah. <laughs> um, so confession and restitution, making things right, and that's what was so shocking about Zacchaeus, right? I, right. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but they were, they were, you know, I, I give, I give half of my my earnings to the poor, and whoever I've wronged, I'll restore. It. Did he say four hundred percent? Yeah, I think so. Something like that, and here he was only required for twenty percent. Salvation has come to this house. Yeah, yes. that, that, that's somebody who was radically converted, right? right. Amen. Right. Yeah. So then we get to this, in our day and age, very difficult passage about what to do when a husband becomes jealous that his wife may have been in an mm -hmm. adulterous relationship. Mm -hmm. So why is this such a controversial passage these days, do you think? Well, because the man seems to get away with... <laughs> Uh, get away with things here. Mm -hmm. you know, we don't see any punishment for a male um, who has committed adultery. And, you know, culturally at, at this period of time, men had all the power. Women did not. And we, we, we live in, in, a, in a time where women are equals, uh, treated as equals. And um, so that's why this is so offensive to um, the contemporary mind. However, uh, you know, the, uh, one of the things I've, you know, blessed by your friendship, Jerry, um, reading the Old Testament and looking for Jesus, right? I think this Augustine says the, the, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So it, it, for me, this is an example, really, believe it or not, to uh, this points to Jesus, Right? Because here you have a woman brought to a priest to help make this determination of whether she's committed adultery or not. And it made me think really about, um, you think about Jesus and the woman at the well. Right? Mm -hmm. um, all the times where Jesus has, had, has spoken to women. And Jesus is the priest that we need. You know, here we have a priest mediating a possible sin situation. And, and, and let me just back up. Jerry, you, we've talked about God sees everything, right? And, and that not that what's happening here? The woman's guilt or innocence is not determined by the man. It's not determined by the priest. It's God who makes a determination. Maybe right? if you could kind of stop there sure. and let's walk through the Go situation. So... Um, the punishment for adultery was stoning. Mm -hmm. We've already seen that take place in an earlier passage. But the situation was there were witnesses. Now, nobody is condemned on the testimony of one person, but in the mouths of two or three, it's established. Right. So here's a situation where, for one reason or another, a man has become suspicious of his wife. So what were to understand is something in her behavior has caused him to become jealous. And she may have committed adultery, she may not have committed adultery, but there are no witnesses. And so the only one who knows, if, to bring it back up to you, Joe, the only one who really knows the truth in the end is the Lord, and he is going to be speaking and working through his mediator, the priest, yep. to bring the truth to light. So. Go ahead and take it from there. I just no, want no, to that, set think, the stage there. I think this 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 
solidifies what we we're saying. There are no private acts, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. God knows. God knows. But you think about the, you know, Jesus being uh, the woman caught in adultery, right? Jesus and the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. So all, so what's going on here kind of portends to what's happening, what's going to be happening uh, later mm -hmm. in the New Testament for me. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, just to see that this priest is is a picture of Yeshua yes. and how he will be interacting exactly. in similar situations when he is uh, incarnate. Some and I think when you read it like in that light, it helps make more sense of it. Mm -hmm. it helps make more sense of it. I think that the uh, the 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 bothersome part for a lot of people is that at the end it says, uh, if if uh, the though under. Verse 29, this is the law in cases of jealousy. So what has happened is there's a whole procedure that's laid out. Uh, it involves holy water, it involves dust from the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. It involves writing on a piece of paper uh, the curses and then uh, washing the curses off into the water that the woman is then going to drink. And she is either going to, uh, and there's some question, does she die from this or does she simply become infertile? Uh, there's a little bit of a debate about that. But uh, there's a strong sense that she, she's going to die. Um, because it says in verse 29, uh, this is the law in the cases of jealousy. Well, let's, let's say the other side, too. If, if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive children. Yes. So she will have survived the ordeal <laughs> to put it in uh, medieval night language right mm -hmm. she, she's she's passed she's passed the test but verse 29 this is the law in the cases of jealousy when a wife though under her husband's authority goes astray and defiles herself or when the spirit of jealousy comes over a man and he's jealous of his wife <clears throat> then he shall set the woman before the lord and the priest shall carry out for her all this law the man shall be free from iniquity but the woman shall bear her iniquity. This is the verse I think that people go, wait a minute, that doesn't sound fair. The context of this, though, is that if she has indeed committed adultery and has gone through this ordeal and dies as a result, the man is not guilty of a sin, and she has borne the iniquity of her adultery. That's what that verse is saying. Hmm. Okay. Wow. But I look on the other side that when, when the uh, adulterous l woman was brought to Jesus, you know, and he says, you know, go and sin no more. You know, I mean, I, I see a new era of forgiveness and, uh, and uh, you know, that, that, was, that was to come. Well, I want to go just ahead of that one. He says, where are those who condemn you? Where are the witnesses yes. that can actually go ahead and throw the first stone? And, and where's your partner? And he says... You know? and, and then he says, I don't condemn you either. Right? I don't condemn you either. Mm, interesting. I came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it, is what he says in John earlier, that's, right? That's Romans. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. Yeah, but the, you, you just mentioned a good point, Jerry. The, where are the witnesses? It's just the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus, but he, there was no witnesses that he could... that that would follow the Jewish law. Is that right? Well, it says that Jesus stooped down and wrote something in the dirt that made everybody melt away. Right, right. So I think a lot of people just presume he started writing out their sins. Right. So, okay, you, 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 want, and then you go, want to condemn this one? Here's, here's some condemnation coming back at you. Oh, well, maybe I'll... And he says, uh, if, um, cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. And then the, right. from the oldest to the youngest, they left. Right. So it's... Uh, you know. So then, yes, once I have received this grace, go and sin no more. Right. Right? Interesting. Yeah. So anything else you want to <coughs> add in there? Because then we have this very interesting situation with the uh, Nazarite vow, taking the vow of a Nazarite. Mm. Chapter 6. Yes. Talks about... And this is kind of also where I, I wonder how how completely accurate our depiction of that culture is when we say men have all the authority. We already read about how 
whether you're a man or a woman, if you're unclean, you're out of the camp. Mm -hmm. Here is a vow that can be taken by a man or a woman mm -hmm. to dedicate themselves to God. Mm -hmm. We know that there was an argument over a gentleman, Zelophehad, and his inheritance because he had only daughters. Mm -hmm. And the Lord said through Moses, nope, uh, these girls are entitled to their father's property. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder, maybe comparing their culture to ours, it seems like that, but comparing their culture to other cultures of their time, maybe how enlightened they, yeah, they sure. really were For when sure. it came to the treatment of women. For sure, yes. So here is this invitation to male or female, if you want to consecrate yourself to God, because that's really what this, 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 this word Nazarite is all about, to separate. Separate yourself. Yes. Separate yourself. If you want to take a vow to separate yourself from three things, right? From uh, wine, from removing the hair on your body, and from contact with a dead body. So these are things that... Um, we, we've run into, but the, the wine issue is, is, is a new wrinkle. And <clears throat> let me just uh, throw in why the rabbis think wine is introduced here. Uh, they, they surmise that uh, staying away from wine uh, in light of the discussion about the unfaithful wife and the immoral images it may prompt in your thinking that wine may induce you or ease the way for you to become a participant. I got you. So now, yeah. if you really want to be separated and consecrated to God and keep out those bad thoughts or the impulse to follow up on them, right. stay away from wine. Mm. But That's it also it. says in mine, it says stay away from wine, it says from beer, it says from fresh grapes or raisins. Mm -hmm. So it's the, it's the whole multitude of things. Right. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. Right. So, <clears throat> no sun kissed for you during that. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> then the rest of the uh, portion talks about uh, the various rules about what happens to you and your vow if you accidentally come into contact with any of this, these things and how you go about kind of like a do-over, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. right. <laughs> uh, getting started all over again. Right. But, but the primary idea here is that when I take this vow, I am dedicating myself for this period of time to God and God's service and not to the things of the world. Joe, we talked the other day about whether this was for a limited time or a lifetime. Right. Um, it could be for, my understanding was that uh, in the Old Testament, it was usually for a lifetime. New Testament, you see them for shorter periods of time, 30 mm -hmm. days or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Clearly, by the time we get to the New Testament, uh, those gentlemen that Paul uh, right. was, was helping out was a 30-day 30 30 vow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we our our Haftor portion is uh, the story of Samson and his birth. If yeah. you want to maybe touch base with that real quickly, um, um, go ahead, Joe. Just just back it up. We I, I hope this is appropriate. We talked about this before. About um, we see this right now with the Mandalorian, right? I wanted to bring this up. If you're watching the the, the series, the Mandalorian. This is about somebody who's taken a vow. Uh, this is about somebody who's taken a vow, right? The Mandalorian has vowed not to remove his helmet, and that's kind of um, his story. Um, and it, you know, I'm not—it's not a spoiler here because it's been out for a little bit, a little while. But he does eventually remove his helmet, and then he goes through a process of atonement. You know, he goes into the living waters of Mandalore, and and I I think this resonates with people. We talked about. When you consecrate yourself, you separate yourself to God. And I think that's one of the things that people, it resonated with people in, in the Mandalorian series, right? That here's someone who had decided to live differently, uh, live a certain way, bounty hunter, gunslinger, kind of gray area, good or bad. Um, he's he's comes in contact with baby Yoda and, and takes him on as a foundling. And so that kind of crystallizes where he is morally. And 
I've been really surprised how that resonates with people, mm-hmm. this idea of a vow, and that he's decided to live differently. And he's kind of mocked for, for doing that, you know, live, for not taking his helmet off and things like that. And I think there's a message there for Christians today. You know, that we as Christians are separating ourselves from culture, like you're saying, Jerry. And there's going to be pushback from culture. We're going to kind of be mocked and made fun of. Oh, you know, you're, you're going to wait till marriage to uh, have sex with someone. Or, um, but, but, but there's something really attractive about that, about taking a vow, keeping it, and being willing to suffer for it. And being willing to suffer for it, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I, I, that's what jumped out at me as I'm re- as I'm reading about uh, this vow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As Christians, we all take a vow to live it in a sense to you know not technical vow, but we're, we we've agreed to live a certain way, right? right? To be separate. Right. Well, you know, as we were discussing the other day, for most of us. Uh, we, we don't run into vows too much, but for those of us who are married, we took vows right. when we got married. Better or worse. And uh, I think you said it, Joe, uh, <laughs> the other day uh, when we were talking about this, that people who are divorced are people who have not kept their word. They, they, they lied when they took their vow. Um, we are the bride of Christ and we have not spoken formal vows like we do in front of a congregation before God. But I think it's a valid point to make that there's some kind of vow that we must have entered into if we are now the bride of Christ. Yes, right. So at the, at the minimum <clears throat> level of definition, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's got to be the vow we start with, right? Yes. Very good, Jerry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah. So... Um, We, uh, we, we, we know that Samson was, was uh, a Nazarite uh, from birth. And when we look at the life of Samson, and we're kind of going away from the Haftorah, which focuses mostly on the announcement of his birth and the, uh, the, the, the consummation of that, that Samson is born. But when we look at the larger story of Samson and understand that he's a man who's supposed to be separated to God in all these different ways, what do we really see? <laughs> Didn't work out that way. No. God can use anybody. God can and will use anybody uh, despite their, their uh, disobedience, despite their hard-headedness, despite their stubbornness. Samson just baffles me sometimes the 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 whole delilah story <laughs> are you stupid <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's interesting though but uh god picks samson you know if you look at it on on, on uh, chapter 13 verse 1 it's it's uh the israelites were go- or on a moral on a moral down decline mm-hmm. and god raised up and he knew he was raising up he was raising up samson right to to do this his will so i think it's you know the, the foresight of God and the, the planning of God to pick somebody like Samson to, um, and the whole goal was to uh, help the Israelites get away from the Phil- Philistine control. Yeah, what's interesting, of course, about Samson, when you look at his, his life and the effect of his life, uh, <clears throat> he, he was not a moral influencer. <laughs> he, he did not bring about any kind of reform that we can see in, mm-hmm. in, in the nation as we see with some of the other judges. Uh, but God made a, a, a point of using Samson to really inflict punishment on the Philistines. To stir things up. Yes. Right. Yeah, so many interesting <clears throat> things about Samson. Um, but the, uh, the story of his birth and, and how that came to be is reminiscent to me of the angel's announcement to Mary. Did either yes, of you guys kind of feel yeah. that? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> A plan and a purpose right at birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the angel comes. There was a certain, Here's the exact words, right? Go ahead. When the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, uh, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Isn't that right? great? That echoes perfectly. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Just all these little places where sure. suddenly, you know, there's, there's, there's these connections. That God is laying a foundation that 
the 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 beautiful building <laughs> yeah. uh, of the incarnate son is is being built on in, right. in, in all of these little the old testament is the new revealed yeah. and the old testament's the new concealed it's right there you know you just keep looking for those connections like you say jerry mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um the uh the one little thing i wanted to bring out here uh in verse we're we're, we're in judges chapter 13 right now uh, in verse 8, well, 17, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? <laughs> yeah. Now, this word wonderful is the Hebrew word pele, or, well, here it's peli. It comes in a variety of uh, noun or uh, vowel variations. Uh, in Isaiah, we all know the famous line that says, wonderful counselor. That word wonderful is the same word as here, the Pella. Ah. He is the Pella Yoates, the wonderful counselor. And in uh, the Song of Moses, it says, who is like you, O Lord? Who among the gods is like you? Wonderful in splendor. Same word, Pella. So that this word here, when he says it's wonderful, it's not just... It's, it's a really great name. <laughs> it's an indication that I'm God. Mm -hmm. Okay? And that word wonder gets into what we have to ultimately say about God is the mystery. We want, we want to be able to confine God and box him in and say, I really get him. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I really understand God. But he is wonderful. He is awe-inspiring. He is ultimately... The, the, the Jewish publication... Uh, society's translation of this word here is unknowable. Wow. Unknowable. Mm -hmm. And I always think about that in relation to we're going to spend eternity learning and knowing and understanding God, but never being able to get to the end of an infinite God. That is mind-blowing to me. Amen. Just mind-blowing. Yes. Well, we are coming down to the end of our hour here, gentlemen. Uh, time goes by so quickly. Um, we wanted, I, I, I want to just end by going back to Leviticus, or Leviticus, to Numbers chapter 6. And our listeners, you've probably heard the song, The Lord bless you and keep you. Well, this is where it comes from, Numbers chapter 6. Uh, this is the Aaronic blessing, and this is the, the blessing that the Lord gave to the high priest to speak over the nation of Israel. And he says in verse 27, by saying this blessing over the people, you will put my name on the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Amen. So... Joe, you asked me why, 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 why does this appear here? And my answer was that it seems to me this is the place to put it in because this is the last piece that the priests need to have in place before the tabernacle, beginning in chapter 7, is consecrated. When we consecrate the tabernacle and when it's all ready to go, this is how you will bless the people. You, you need to know this beforehand so that when it's all set up, you can just jump right in there and bless the people. So it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And we at One New Man Ministries want to add that blessing to you, our listeners today. We wish for God's blessing and keeping. We pray that his, the light of his presence, that's what is uh, the word there, his presence, the light of his presence would always be shining on you, that his grace to you through Jesus would always be evident and active. We pray that this phrase, the Lord lift up his countenance, I always think of it, may his face always be in your direction. Amen. And may he give you his shalom, his peace. And we worship our King Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, 
the Sar Shalom. We pray for all of those wonderful blessings upon you. We thank you for joining us today, and we hope and pray that you'll be with us again next week. Uh, we bless you with a wonderful Pentecost day today, a wonderful Shavuot day today, uh, the many, many blessings of God in Christ. Signing off, and we'll talk to you next week.